ministering from the subject this morning, catching grace. Everybody say catching grace. This is the famous chapter. It's the last chapter in the book of John, and it's famous because it builds to a peak of Jesus ultimately restoring Peter after Peter had denied him three times. You must understand when we enter the text that Jesus and Peter have had no significant interaction since Peter had denied the Lord and swore that he did not know him. There's a breach between them. There's a problem between them. And Peter has broken a commandment. I'll remind you that Jesus taught on the mountain, all of his disciples and all of the people, that if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father. Peter had broken that commandment. So in John 21, the real scope and ultimate aim of Jesus' presence on the shore was to lead Peter into repentance. Now, the word repentance, it means to turn around. It means to go in a different direction. It means to correct a negative behavior. And God has many tools to help lead us into repentance. Trouble is one of the tools God uses to lead us into repentance. Well, I tell you, most people, you never repent like you repent when you get in a whole lot of trouble. You know, you start praying those prayers, Lord Jesus, if you'll just get me out of this one right here, I will never. You know. Conviction is another tool that God uses to help us repent. Just, just a deep, heavy feeling that, that something's wrong. You're going in the wrong direction. And you need to make a turn and a change in your life. Uh, another thing is godly discipline. The scripture says that whom the Lord loves, he he chastens that sometimes daddy gets out a belt and he, he chastens us and disciplines us into repentance. But this text is interesting because it reveals that God has one more tool in his tool bag to use to lead us to repentance. And it's the tool of radical, staggering blessing and undeserved kindness. Romans 2, 4 gives us more insight on this truth. It says, it is the goodness of the Lord that leads us into repentance. Just, just saying, you know, one day I woke up and realized how good you've been to me. And because of how good you've been to me, it made me wanted to repent. In John 21, verse 1, I want to go through the verses with you and pull out a couple of key words. The text really preaches itself. I ain't got much hard work to do today. John 21, verse 1 says, after these things. Well, wait a second. After what things? Well, after Judas had betrayed the Lord. After Peter had denied the Lord, not once, but twice. After Jesus had been taken to the judgment hall and, and passed around and had his beard ripped out and had the Pharisees and Sadducees take turns striking him on the head. After Jesus went to the whipping post and was flogged 39 times with a cattle nine tail whip. After Jesus was taken to the cross. After Jesus went through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It was after these things. And you can almost hear the text screaming out to believers 
that there will be times when you are betrayed by people close to you. There will be times when people you need to rely on will stand back from you and deny ever knowing your name. There will be times when you have to carry a cross up a cruel mountain in your life. There will be times when you feel buried by your circumstances and it seems as if all hope is lost. And yet, even in those times, Christians remember that for those that believe in Jesus, there will always be an after these things. And I bring this little point up to you this morning because I sense in my heart that there's some people going through some things today. There's some people going through some things in your marriage, some things in your finances, some things in your relationships, some things with your children. And some of it maybe has pushed you to a hopeless place. If you're in a hopeless place, I got a word right out of the scripture for you. There will be an after these things. After these things is a guarantee that the purpose of God is still good for your future and that what you're going through in these things right now is not the ultimate end. There will be an after these things. The Bible says after these things, Jesus showed himself again. But, but, but first it tells us that, that the disciples, they, they got together. Verse Verse 2, before Jesus steps on the scene, the text focuses on the condition of the disciples after the cross. It says that they, they got together. Now, now, the disciples had been through hell. They had buried Jesus and their hopes along with him. They're enemies of the court. They got warrants out for their arrest. They're confused. They're depressed. They're exhausted. And yet, the scripture says they were together. Going through hard times is easier when you go through together with other people, especially if they are people of faith. The enemy of your soul would love to tempt you into isolation, but isolation fixes nothing. When trouble comes, find you some people of faith and gather together because, because when you get together, you know, being together wars against a self-pity mentality. Because when you get together with some other people, you realize, hey, I'm not the only one going through something. I'm not the only one hurting. I'm not the only one discouraged. I'm not the only one depressed. I'm not the only one that can't sleep at night. And when you get around and you gather with people of faith, you realize there's some people in this room right now that God has brought out of what you're going through right now. And you wouldn't know it, but when you gather together, you start hearing testimonies and you start hearing encouragement and you start believing. You know what? If God God could do it for Jim over there. If God could do it for Susie over there, I, I'm just convinced that God can do it for me. It's the power of getting, getting together. Elbow somebody and say, get together. And then verse three says, you know, Peter lets his boys know I'm, I'm going, I'm going fishing. I, I, I tried out the ministry thing with Jesus for three and a half years. That didn't end up too good. What I'm trained in, what I know, what I'm good at is, is fishing. So I'm going fishing. And the uh, Bible says all the other disciples said, we ain't got nothing else to do. We might as well go with you. Might as well go with you. And, and verse 3 says, and, and they, they were fishing all 
all night and they caught nothing. Now, it's like that sometimes when you're living by faith. The disciples are already down. They're already depressed. They already buried Jesus. And so they want to go back to something familiar to anchor themselves and lift their spirits. That's what a lot of people do when they're in deep trouble. They try to go back to something familiar. You know, you ever find yourself, you know, you're in deep trouble. You, you reach for comfort food. You know, I, I love sushi, but nobody eats sushi when they're going through hell. You know, when you're going through hell, you don't want sushi. You want some fried chicken and mashed potatoes and macaroni and cheese and some biscuits and some, some green beans with bacon in them. You, you, you want comfort food. Comfort food, something, something familiar to anchor you back to your core of who you are. And, and, so, and so they went fishing, and, and they, uh, they, they were fishing all night. And, and this was the one thing they knew they could do, and, and they, they caught nothing. There's nothing quite like casting with expectation. I ain't talking about casting a rod and reel. They, they had to fish with those big nets, you know. Nothing. Have you ever casted in expectation and just pulled up a big old pile of nothing? There's nothing quite like nothing. What do you do? Well, you've been fishing all night and you pulled up nothing. Well, the answer is in the text. You keep fishing. Because the Bible said they fished all night, they caught nothing, and they were still fishing when Jesus showed up in the morning. If they would have quit fishing in the night, they would have missed the morning miracle. And I just want to encourage somebody who's been in a night season of nothing. Morning miracles are coming to your life. Don't quit in the night season of nothing. I don't know who it's for. Don't quit in the night season of nothing because morning miracles are coming in your life. Jesus showed himself again in the morning. And, and he, he, calls out, he calls out to him in verse 5. And I, I like these keywords. He says, have you any? Have you any fish? Have you any food? Have you any? I think this question is so disrespectful. Because you know that Jesus knows. And y'all don't hear me. I, I, I said, you know Jesus already knows. They've been fishing all night, ain't caught nothing, and yet he has the nerve to ask, have you any food? Have you any joy? Have you any peace? Have you any success? Have you any strong family life? In other words, have you been successful catching what you've been spending so much time doing? What you've been spending so much time going after? Have you been able to, to catch it? And they said, no. And he calls out in verse 6, 
And he says, uh, cast on the right side and you'll find some. This bothers me. I've been throwing the net all night over here. Folks, how wide could the boat be? Throwing the net all night over here, and you're telling me to go over here? Why didn't I think of that? That's brilliant. What difference will it make? All the difference in the world. Because you don't catch miracles because you want them. How you cast, what you cast with is important. All night, they've been casting out of human experience and human knowledge. But this next cast is going to be a cast based off of nothing but the word of the Lord. And I will admit to you, it's a cast that doesn't make any sense. But sometimes God's word, his word doesn't make sense until you use it, receive it, and shout about it later. It didn't make sense to your mind. It didn't make sense to your will. It didn't make sense to your emotions. But the truth is, you ain't been doing so good with your mind, your intellect, your will, and your emotions. Truth is, you've caught nothing with those. Jesus says, why not, why not try the word? Why not try casting on, on the right side? And the Bible says they obeyed his instructions. And now they, they can't pull the net up out of the water because there's so many large fish. Now, historians say this was a year's worth of fish that a professional fisherman would catch. What, what a professional fisherman who fishes for a living, what he would catch in a year, this was that much fish in one catch. Now, I knew that wouldn't amaze you. Sometimes we read the Bible not considering the value of things. We almost approach the word of God like petulant children. You know, children, they, they, they think the Chick-fil-A just appears. They never consider the value of things. They think the milk in the fridge just popped up there. It pops up every morning. It just regenerates every single morning. Children never consider the value of things. I, I, think, I think we don't either sometimes when we read the word. Bible says this is, this is 153 large fish. And I wanted just to give you a comparative analysis to make it relative to our times. Now, a comparative analysis is not perfect. The economies are different. We're talking about 33 AD versus 2021 AD. It's not going to be a perfect analogy, but just for the sake of relatability, what would this miracle have been valued or been worth in our day today? First of all, we have to ask, what, what did Jesus do with this? You know, this, this catch is a result of Jesus. It's a miraculous catch. And when Jesus works miracles with natural things, he always does the best. You remember when Jesus turned water into wine, the governor said, most people put the best out first, but you have saved the best for last. So Jesus does the best. So I was just thinking about what's, what's the best fish. And, and the fish I kind of like lately, Katie's been cooking for us, is king salmon. 
I mean, it's, it's no, you know, bluefin tuna, but, but that's just super fancy. But king salmon, that's, that's a fish we've been eating a lot. And, and king salmon, and you, by the way, you can Google this right now. If I'm lying, stand up, throw the phone at me and scream at me and all that. Is this true? King salmon goes for about $30 a pound on the low end. Okay? On the high end, it can go as much as $70 a pound. But king salmon on the low end, $30 a pound. And the average weight of a king salmon is 20 pounds. One king salmon then is worth $600 per fish. Now, to make it relative to the text, there's 153 of these large fish. Today, that miracle comparatively would have been valued at $91,800. You imagine one cast and then pulling back $91,800? In any case, in any economy, in any historical setting, this was a significant blessing for a fisherman. And Peter was a fisherman. Remember? This is Peter's boat. He's the professional fisherman in the group. These are Peter's nets. This is Peter's fishing trip. And Jesus released a year's worth of salary to a professional fisherman in one catch. And look at the timing. This is the first significant interaction Jesus has had with Peter since Peter said, I swear I don't know him. I swear I've never met him. And then the scripture says he cursed. And it doesn't mean he used profanity. He cursed himself. He released a curse. In other words, he said something like this. May my soul be damned to hell if I know him. Now, Peter has broken one of the commandments of Jesus. Do not deny me before men. If you do, I'll deny you before my father. Jesus has, Jesus has been betrayed by Peter. A lot of people talk about what Judas did as this most horrific thing. I think what Peter did was right in step with what Judas did. And Jesus knows Peter needs to repent. Jesus knows, hey, Peter, you can't die like that in that condition with that on you. You'll be lost. Peter, Peter, he, Jesus told him, he warned him. He said, I, I've, been, I've been worried about you. I've been praying for you because Satan has desired that he may have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. Peter got prideful with Jesus, said, Jesus, listen here, I will follow you to prison and even to death. If they come get you, Jesus, they're going to have to come get me. Talking big and bad. And then when the heat was, the, was applied, I, I swear I don't know him. May I be damned to hell if I know him. So Jesus got to deal with this boy. He's got to reach because his soul's in danger. He needs repentance. He needs discipline. He needs to be turned and sent in another direction. And Jesus will do all that later in the text. But how does he start? Does he start with a belt? 
Does he start with a mallet of judgment? Does he start with accusing words? Does he start by getting in his faith? He starts by releasing the most ridiculous blessing that Peter has ever experienced in his life. In other words, he starts the road to repentance by giving him goodness. Peter gave Jesus denial and betrayal. And to help fix him, Jesus starts giving Peter goodness, giving him grace. And all of a sudden, when I read the text, I realized that when Peter was fishing and he brought up that massive haul, he wasn't catching fish as much as he was catching grace. Now, I want to present this possibility to you. There's a lot of people in this room you're in as much danger as Peter was. You violated the commandments of the Lord. You've gone your own way. You've got on the wrong road. In your relationship, you're on the wrong road. You're not doing things the right way. In the way you're living your lifestyle, you're on the wrong road. You're not doing things the right way. You, you know to do better. There's something on the inside nudging you and telling you to do better, but you You've done worse when you knew to do better. You're on the wrong road and you need repentance. You're expecting things to get better while you're doing worse. It's never going to happen. You need repentance. But I submit to you that some of you may have noticed God's been really kind to you lately. Some of you may have noticed God's been doing really special things in your life. Some of you, you may have noticed that, that God was doing others. You may, you may not have noticed that God was the source of that recent success you had, that God was the source of that, that recent leveling up you went through in your life. So some of you hadn't realized that God was the source of that of that one good thing, that one bright spot, that one thing that makes all the rest worth going through so you can have that, that, that one child that warms your heart, that, that position you just got on the job, that friend that God gave you that always knows the right thing to say in the right moment, those, those bright spots in your life. And, and what I want you to consider is maybe the goodness you've been experiencing lately. Maybe it's not of your own producing. Maybe the bright spots that you've been receiving lately, maybe it's not of your own producing. Could it be possible that God's been throwing grace at you? Because he knows you need to make some changes. Could it be possible that instead of railing against you in judgment, God's just said, I'm going to use another tool this time. And he's just been throwing grace at you, throwing health at you. You can't remember the last time you were sick. Even in the middle of the pandemic, you felt bad for admitting that you felt so good all the time. Just, just throwing grace at you. Just throwing promotion at you. Just throwing good people at you. Good people are hard to find. And it, and it seems like you look around, you've got good people all around. 
around you, just, just throwing good stuff at you, just throwing grace at you, throwing it and throwing it and, and throwing it. And, and you've been walking around telling people, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm starting to do good. Things are starting to get on the right track. Things are, they, all the hard work's paying off. All the studies paying off. All, all the things are, are lining up for me and, and you don't realize it wasn't you. God was throwing something at you. Throwing grace at you because he knows there's some areas that, that you need to make some changes. And when Peter sees Jesus at the shore, he's amazed. I was expecting a whooping. I was expecting a tongue lashing. I was expecting you to let me have it, but you let me have this. And then, over the next few verses of the text, Jesus gently and yet fiercely begins to restore him. First, Jesus makes him eat the words that he said. He said, Peter, do you love me? More than these, Peter said, yes, you know I love you. Peter, I, I said, do you love me? The second time, yes, Lord, I love you. The third time, Jesus asked him again. Now Peter's in agony. Yes, Lord, I love you. Jesus allowed Peter to place love over each time that he denied him. And then Jesus said, I know, I know as a fisherman, I know you love what you just did. I know you love that haul you just had. But the truth of the matter is I'm calling you away from what you've always done and been successful at. And I'm calling you away from this successful catch you just had now. I don't want you to be a fisher of these. I want you to be a fisher of men and come and work as a minister in my kingdom. Jesus, I mean, he's laying the wood to him. You know, he's really putting it on him on how to be restored and repent. But it started with 153 large fish for a fisherman. And as you stand to your feet, bow your heads, and close your eyes, just for a moment. If you're in this room and under the sound of my voice and there's something wrong, wrong between you and God, wrong in your relationship with him. If there's something, if there's been a schism, a, a division, something blocking, he's been throwing grace at you. And I don't want you to leave this service today without catching what he threw. On the count of three, if you want to recommit to Jesus, repent of your sins and cover with love the mistakes that you've made. I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. If you raised up your hand, come down here and meet me in the altar. We're going to make a public profession of our faith in Jesus. We are going to profess and confirm him in front of people. We're going to do it publicly and receive the benefit of that.
that the scripture promises. So come now. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace. Just get as close as you can. You can just get as close as you can. If you know that little song all over the building, lift up your hands and say your grace is enough. Your grace is Jesus restored Peter, he did it by leading him in words. He did it by showing him and telling him what to say. All Peter had to do was believe it in his heart. Jesus gave him the words to confess with his mouth. That's what Paul said in Romans 10, that salvation is as simple as this. It's believing in your heart and then being, being willing to confess what you believe with your mouth. Paul says, if you believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus and you confess with your mouth, you believe God raised him from the dead, and you call on the name of the Lord in faith, you will be saved. So everybody, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I come to you today a sinner. I have committed sin. But I believe in you. I believe you are who the gospel says you are. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me. And I believe on the third day you rose with all power. Today I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. Cover me with the blood you shed at Calvary. I receive you today. And I receive restoration. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Now lift up your hands and worship him right where you're at.